This is week two of our series, I Love My Church, I Love His Church. Last week we talked about uh, the foundation of the Word of God and what that means for us. And, and we were just excited to hear all the comments, the emails, the texts, so many wanting the notes and to work through that. And I want to tell you that we are moving into our next, our next part of this session and I'm, I'm thankful tonight to be talking about the fact that I love my church because this is a church that believes in being prayerful and it's a church that is spirit-filled and it works very much in line with what we talked about last week because last week we talked about the reality that the church is bigger than even the dynamics of this building but the church is us and it's the foundation being knit together and we worked with the scripture that except the Lord builds the house, they that labor, uh, they really do it in vain. And so we're going to start tonight in Matthew chapter 21. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time together in your word. I pray that you would bless every hearer, that we would not only be hearers, but that we would be doers of the word. Now, God, you know I want to teach the word to, tonight in a way that is palatable and receivable. I, I want to do it in a way that's not boring. I want to be engaging with teaching the word and teaching these principles. So I pray that you'd help me, whether they're watching live or listening later on the podcast. I pray it's a blessing not only uh, to the hearer, Oh God, but to those that they interact with as the word itself takes life through them. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen. Matthew chapter 21, uh, this is kind of the beginning of the final week of his pre-Calvary life and talking about Christ. And we refer to this often as the Passion Week. And we hear more about it typically uh, around Easter time. But Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 14 uh, is talking about when Jesus is going to the temple of God and he's driving out those who have bought and they've sold in the temple and they've overturned, he's overturning the tables and the money changers and all those who have sold doves. And it's when he says this very important uh, thing here in verse 13. He gets in conversation with the prophet Isaiah and he reminds them, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And we really talked about this a couple Sunday nights ago where we preached about the power of prayer. And last week in discussing the foundation, we really talked about the building of the house itself. And this week we're going into a prayerful and a spirit-filled house. We do not want a house that he doesn't feel comfortable in. We, we don't want a house of God that God doesn't feel comfortable in. And that's both this building and it's this temple, this earthen vessel that has been created. Okay, we, we want to make sure that this temple and this temple is prayerful and it is spirit-filled. This God-built church that we're a part of, this is His church and it's a praying church. Somebody say, thank God for that. His house has got to be a house of prayer. Calvary Tabernacle has been historically and remains a church that, is, that knows how to pray. We've been a church that's been known from the outside. Hey, if you get a hold of the people from Calvary, they know how to, they know how to pray. I'm going to tell you, we don't ever want to lose that. There is nothing that could ever be said about us that's more powerful than we know how to pray. And I thank God for those who are praying independently. I thank God for those who have been a part of the, the Zoom prayers and the online prayers. And I thank God that you do it individually. But there is a power in collective prayer. 
There's a power in, you know, when we work together and we pray together. It's why we throw the needs on the overhead. And many people take these collective needs. And the people that, that drive by and see that CT prays, it's to put that before several people. We know the biblical principles that if one puts 1,000 to flight, two put 10,000 to flight. Well, how many do 600 put to flight? Do the math on that and try to find out the compound interest. And, and uh I want to say I'm so thankful for what took place here even this last Sunday morning. From two weeks ago, so many battling sickness, and Brother Ross brought that up here in the beginning, but we had double this Sunday what we had a week ago, and God is helping, and we're seeing the recovery. We believe that a lot of that is due to prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. Uh, and Calvary starts this process very, very early. I want to tell you a story. Uh, I got permission to share this about uh, little Cooper Garnell. Uh, he had a, had a lump on his neck. He's just four years old. His grandpa, Brother Barry Brown, was telling me about this this week. And, uh, and they, he had to go in for a doctor's appointment, had a little lymph node or a little lump or something that was going on. But they were kind of concerned about it, wanted to get it looked at. And they had carried him down and had prayer for him. And, and he even asked, he said, what are we really doing? And, 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 and they said, well, we're going to have prayer and believe that Jesus is going to take care of it. This is what Brother Barry had told me. He said, he said I wanted him to have prayer. We explained it. When it came time for him to go in for his doctor's uh, visit, they asked Cooper if he was ready to go, and he said, why are we going? And he said, well, we got to get that looked at. And he said, these were his words. He said, well, they already prayed for me. We don't need to go. I love that childlike faith. And the long story short on that is when they took him and he was checked out, the doctor said, everything's fine. That's not an issue at all. And it had already begun to go down. And, and there's no issue, nothing that was overwhelmed. And four-year-old theology, Cooper looked back at them and said, I told you I didn't need to go. Jesus already healed me. I think every now and then we need to be reminded of that childlike faith that if we ask Him, He's able and we do have some big needs tonight, not just for sickness, but there are people with financial needs, there are people with emotional situations, but I will tell you, I believe He is able. And I believe that when we pray, He steps in. And so we have been, but we've got to remain and even grow in the intensity of being a church that is a church of prayer. For the born-again Christian who's become a new creature in Christ, prayer is like oxygen for the spirit man. It really is. It's the spiritual air that we breathe. Um, to refrain from praying is to suffer a slow and a, and a painful death by, by asphyxiation. We, 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 we would self-induce our, our loss of that breath that so much of this COVID has been about the people that are being robbed of their oxygen. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you to self-induce a lack of prayer is to like the physical man losing oxygen. We must be men and women of prayer. What was the disciples' request of Jesus? They said, Lord, in Luke 11, teach us to pray. I think we need to get back to that. That wasn't so that he could give a simple model that could be repetitively done. Uh, we should honor that, hallowed be thy name. We should reverence it. But they were saying, teach us. And Jesus did a lot of teaching. Some of that we're going to talk about. He was known a lot of times when they were sleeping, he was praying. He would go a stone's throw away. He would get into a place where he was in solitude with God. And he would Pray. We have to know that, okay? It is the model to get alone, the, the, the flesh travailing before the Lord. Prayer is how the natural becomes supernatural. 
It really is. It connects us. Humanity and deity connected. God, teach us to pray. Help us to take time to pray. Help us to make prayer a priority. To push aside lesser things and pray. Push aside those things that are not as important. They're not like the air that you breathe for the physical man. And, and prayer is that for the spiritual man. So push those other things that are unnecessary away. Let's get, a, let's get a crowd application for this, okay? Right there in your living room or maybe you're standing in the kitchen and you're, maybe you're baking some cookies for pastor right now while you're, while you're watching this. I'm just throwing that out there. Maybe, maybe you're doing that. Here's, here, why don't you do this? I want everybody uh, to just breathe in and hold it. Until you have to let that out. I didn't plan. I, I feel like I could do better. If this was a competition, I feel like I could have worked harder for that. But the truth is you can hold it. And some of you out there, you're still holding your breath and your face is going red. And you're shaking. At some point, if you want to stay conscious, you've got to let it out. Well, I'm going to tell you, the truth is if you want to survive and certainly if you want to thrive in God, you have got to pray. We've got to pray. Uh, I know that this seems like a simple thing, but it really shouldn't be. Oswald Sanders, J. Oswald Sanders, calls this strange, a strange paradox. He says, We pay lip service to the delight and the potency and value of prayer. We assert that it's an indispensable adjunct of mature spiritual life. We know that it is constantly enjoined and exemplified in Scriptures. But in spite of it all, too often we fail to pray. It's not that we don't think it's powerful. We do. When I'm preaching in all the churches here, like I can't wait for Sunday morning and Sunday night when we're all back in here together. But if I started saying, well, there's power when we pray, everybody in the place for the most part would begin to clap and they would begin to get excited. It's not that we do not believe it. It's that we have got to crucify the flesh and make it a priority. We've got to do it. What is prayer? Charles Spurgeon said, True prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It is a spiritual transaction with the Creator of heaven and earth. It is a spiritual transaction with the Creator of heaven and earth. First point for you tonight, prayer is vital to our spirit. Prayer is vital to our spirit. Like I said, like oxygen to our natural man, it must be more than a Sunday activity. I cannot stress this enough, and I know for most of you, I'm preaching to the choir. But we've got to rise up with the thought of prayer. And we've got to lay our head down with the thought of prayer. It's got to be a part of who we are from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. The name of the Lord is worthy to be praised. And that happens as a result of our prayerful mindset, our prayerful nature, kind of pushing who we are in our flesh aside and, and getting time where we are alone with the Lord. We need daily scheduled routine. Let pastor be very practical right here, okay? Some of you, you know that it doesn't happen unless you set an alarm on your phone. It's okay. Pull your phone out. No one's going to think you're texting, okay? Pull your phone out and set your alarm for tomorrow at a time when you know you'll have a window to pray. 
And then go ahead and put that calendar alarm on repeat for every day. Whether that's in the morning that you can give a a decent time to prayer or in the evening. Now, I've I've seen many people say, well, I'm going to pray at night before bed. If you're a person that can do that without falling asleep, then do it. If I've had other people say, well, I'm getting up at 5 a.m. And you know that you haven't got up before 9 a.m. in a long time. Well, do something that's practical and that is something you can actually accomplish. Don't be self-defeating by setting a goal that's larger than you can accomplish. I would tell you maybe start off with bite-sized morsels of prayer, so to speak. Now, I recognize the spiritual maturity of some that I'm talking to. You're thinking, well, I, I already pray an hour or two hours or three hours a day. Well, for those that you don't even have a regular routine, there's no time like the present to make sure that this temple is filled with prayer. Because ladies and gentlemen, remember, when we come in here and we are all filled with prayer, then it makes this church... Calvary Tabernacle filled with prayer. It's a a beautiful reality, and it's, it's something that has to happen. We've got to have prayer. It is vital to us. You know, we never know what the next moment's gonna bring. We really don't. We've been reminded of that as of late like never before. You never know what one day is going to bring. Brother Gray often has talked to me about this, and I've heard him say this line a couple times, that he is going to deal with families by Thursday that don't recognize there's an issue today. And the truth is, we have to constantly stay in a mind, in a mindset of prayer, keeping our hearts, our minds, our spirits right. You can't do that without prayer. I can't do that without prayer. Taking the title of pastor or the title of minister, it doesn't make it change. Having the title of a music director or for you, whether you're newer in the church or you're a seasoned saint, just because you've been in the church, all of our elders would agree, maybe you've been in the church 40, 50, 60 years, being an elder does not naturally make you uh, where you're not susceptible to sin or to the effects of sin. So you have to pray to keep that from happening. Second thing tonight, prayer is relational, not demanding. Okay, I I want us to key in on this. Prayer is not a heavenly ATM machine. Okay, It's uh, it's not a means of getting something out of God and treating Him like a bellhop. You know, hey God, it's, it's me. I'm going to need some blessings today. I'm going to need, uh, and I paid my tithe, so you owe me. I gave my offering, so I think I kind of got it coming. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is not a means of coercing or manipulating God into doing what we want. Remember the old statements that we used to hear and some of the old songs we used to sing? If He never did another thing for me. Really think about that right now. For the average person that would really think through it, if you began right now to write down all the things that God has blessed you with and done in your life, you'd spend the rest of your, of your night writing down the blessings of God. But suppose in this life He had done none of those things for you and all... All he had done was walked to Calvary for you. Wouldn't that have been enough? Wouldn't it have been enough if all he had done, that one old song says, it would have been enough if he'd brought brought joy, it would have been enough if he'd brought peace, it would, and it keeps going. The truth is, he just keeps giving and giving and giving. 
but He knows what's best for us. Therefore, we pray His will. We can pray for healing. We can pray for deliverance. We can pray for blessing, and we should. But we pray it according to Your will because we want Your will to be done in our life. So we don't get to get mad at God when things don't work our way. We don't get to get mad at God and not come to church or get bitter and turn our back on God when life occurs and things happen. Because like Job said, though He slay me, still will I trust Him. I'm not going to curse my my own God. I'm not going to turn my back on Him. Prayer is relational, not demanding. It's the means of developing a relationship with God, getting more of God. Please catch this, getting more of God, not more out of God. More of God. More of Him in me. It's communication with our Creator that provides greater understanding and revelation of who He is. What are we after? Really, what are we after? As as His church, we're after trying to be more like Him. There has been a a custom where people have begun to pick up the thought and the process of we want things. The more things I have means the more blessed I am. And that's not true. It's the more of Him that I have. The more of God that I can get. The more I can be like Him. That's why we strive to be holy. Because He is holy. And to be like Him is to be separate and to be different and to be righteous as He is righteous. That's why we're constantly striving. To, to, to be like Him and to come after Him. And that's what, what prayer is doing. Prayer is taking humanity and drawing it closer to, 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 to deity. And they're coming together. And that's, that's what it is. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. We understand what's taking place here. It's this connection process through prayer. The closer that we get to Him, the more that we know about Him. And the more we want to be like Him. I have never met one person that was deep in prayer and fasting, was on an extended fast, and had been increasing their prayer daily that wanted to be less like Jesus. It's amazing. Now, it is a sacrifice of the flesh, and it is denial of self, and, and you're turning off things you would normally be engaging. But Every time during that season, I find that those people are consistently, they're more humble than normal, they're more meek, their their, their temperament is different. It's because the closer they get and the closer that we get to Jesus Christ, the more we begin to reflect Him in our demeanor. It really is a beautiful thing. And honestly, I would say the most beautiful thing is that He gives us a chance to go after it. Isn't that something? Think about it. I know we don't talk about it. It seems so simple, but we need to maybe just freshly appreciate that. He gives us a chance to be like Him. He gives us a chance not just to read about Him, but to draw close to Him. And we know that when we draw close to Him, He draws nigh or close to us. Prayer changes us because it changes, it, it changes our desires. It really does. Our actions then begin to follow our desires. I don't want to step on anyone's toes here again, but you know, diet determines cravings. What you eat determines your cravings. It's the same in the spirit man as it is again in the physical. When you, when you find yourself constantly, say your, your time every day is 7 a.m., you get up and you have prayer and you seek the face of God until you have a breakthrough. You do that for a little stretch 
You know, there's a lot of studies out there that says it takes 17 days to form a routine, whatever that might be. But you get there, you get to that place. If you try to skip that on day 18, probably your natural clock is going to wake you up. And if you try to go without it, you're going to feel sluggish about 8, 9, 10 a.m. You're going to feel like you're off of your routine. And the reason why? Because you had built a routine for prayer. And now it had begun to change your desire. Your desire had begun to change your action. And, and people that are watching tonight, you know this. You have found it to be true. You can try to fool yourself into thinking you're okay not coming to church, but it'll find you in the midnight hour. You can try to convince yourself it's okay not to pray, but it'll find you in the middle of a problem. And aren't we always reminded? I'm, I'm telling you, last Sunday morning, this place was explosive from the very first note. It, every, the excitement, the zeal that was here. I know some that still weren't able to come. You could feel it. We even heard the report. You were saying, we could feel it in our house. Well, I wish you could have felt it here in this place. Uh, there is something that happens when God's people come together with expectation. And you really just cannot deny it. But remember this. It's powerful when we come together and pray. But it is more powerful when we have been prayerful and then come together and pray. When we have been praying, anticipating having expectation for the service. When you pray about this Sunday, here's what I want you to pray. Don't just pray, let us have church. We're having church. Pray, let someone repent of their sins. Let someone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Let someone be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Why? We're a prayerful church and we're a spirit-filled church. It's very important. Psalms chapter 37 verse 4 says that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, He'll give us the desires of our heart. And we know that the closer we get to Him, those desires have a tendency to change. And that's a good thing. What does James say about it? James says that there's times when our prayers are not answered. But really what he identifies is we don't, ask, we don't receive those things because we've asked to miss. <laughs> he said, you're asking things... Uh, that may consume your lusts. You can read that in 4 verses 1 through 3. It's not a, it's not a blab it and grab it mentality like, God, I really want a new Corvette. Or I really want a new Mustang. Uh, you know, and, and the truth is, okay, so maybe God can bless you with that and maybe it will come as the result of hard work and things like that. But, but that's not what we're after. We're not after things. We're not trying. And God said there are times when people are praying and James had to identify this amongst the people. He said, make your prayers be godly minded. Make sure your prayers are not about the lust of your flesh, but that they're in alignment with the Spirit of God. That's why I would tell us, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to get to the place where we pray in the Spirit. And we're going to get there. We're going to get to talking about that. But we've got to get to that place where the Spirit itself impresses on us how to pray. And then we get to the place where even ourselves, we cannot speak it. And the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. We need that kind of relationship with God because there are times we don't know how to articulate properly what we need to say. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where you're like, I don't even know how to pray it at this point. I don't even know what to say. But what I do know that the vials before the throne, they're full of the odors of the prayers of the saints. And some, I know that God knows how it needs to be prayed. 
And it's never going to be about how great my English is anyway. It's never going to be about whether or not you're a scholar or you're, you're excellent with your grammar. It's going to be based on your faith and the reality that you got in the presence of God and sought Him. That's what makes a difference. Uh, in Historical Drift, Arnold Cook says, Prayer is the very essence of Christianity. It's the Christian's native air. We promote it verbally, but our talk too often fails to match our walk. Haven't we heard that along the way? If you're going to talk the talk, walk the walk. When I, was a, when I was younger, that seemed to be done said by bullies, you know. But the truth is that we have to grasp onto that as well. If I'm going to be a Christian, I've got to pray. If I'm going to be a man or a woman of God, I've got to pray. You've got to pray. It's who we are. In the prayer by Leonard Ravenhill in Why Revival Terries, this was written, there's nothing more transfiguring than prayer. People, people often ask, why do you insist on prayer so much? The answer is very simple. Because Jesus did. <laughs> because Jesus. That's a pretty good line, isn't it? Because Jesus did. You can change the title of the gospel according to St. Luke to the gospel of prayer if you wanted to. That's really what it is. It's the prayer life of Jesus Christ. If I'm going to be like Him, I'm going to pray. If I'm going to reflect Him, I am going to pray. Wherever you're at, nudge somebody else like it doesn't affect you at all, like you're the greatest prayer warrior in the world, and look across the room or nudge somebody and tell them, you really ought to pray. You really ought to pray. We've got to pray. Every day that we do not pray, listen, we make a decision even if it's subconsciously, but we do make a decision nonetheless that we don't need God. Ooh, that's a, that's a tough thought, isn't it? If I don't pray, I am, even if subconsciously, telling God, I don't need you today. In Him we live. In Him we move. In Him we have our being. He is my oxygen. In the, I've got to have Him, so I've got to pray. Leonard Ravenhill said, no man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are staying. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. We have many players and, and payers, few prayers, many singers, few clingers, lots of pastors, few wrestlers, that fits a little with what I preached last Sunday, many fears, too few tears. Much fashion, little passion, many interferers, few intercessors, many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. Isn't that something? Ian Bound said, Prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather a privilege to be enjoyed. A rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. I read this uh, line back in about 2007 that changed me. It was a quote by T.W. Barnes. He said, I'm to a place in my life, the late T.W. Barnes, a great prophet that walked among us. He said, I'm at a place in my life where I would truly rather pray than eat. Oh, that's convicting, isn't it? I would rather pray than eat. He was talking about feasting on the presence of God. May God give us a desire. May God give us a desire for prayer. Now, what are we teaching about here tonight? We're teaching about why we love our church. And I'm going to tell you, a big reason why I love my church is because it's a church of prayer. 
It is a church that if I have a need, we, they pray with me. They pray for me. We pray together earnestly over, over needs and issues and situations. We pray earnestly over families that have been affected. and, and situ- I've been on the phone so much today with individuals that have dealt with or are dealing with or coming up against a surgery or what were we doing? We were praying. And that's the power of the church. The power of the church is that we pray. And the second reality is we know that prayer perpetuates where we want to go. If I ask this as a blanket statement, I would say, who wants to have revival? Everybody out there would say it. Well, sure, I want to have revival. Well, a revival occurs with a reviving. It's a reviving. And our first revival here at Calvary Tabernacle that God is really fanning the flames of is this revival of prayer. It's really happening. The power of the worship here on Sundays, the dynamics of what's taking place, people being baptized, repenting, being filled with His Spirit. How's it happening? Because of the power of prayer and the worship of the people. Uh, Edwin Orr said, History is silent about revivals that did not begin with prayer. Oh, I don't want history to be silent about what God is trying to do at Calvary Tabernacle and in Indianapolis, Indiana. And that's not just for our church. That's for every church in the greater Indianapolis area. I want a revival that's too big for our church to handle. Amen. Yes, we do. Number three here. I want to talk about the where, the what, the how, the when, and the why we should pray. Okay? So, wow, that's a lot. Don't worry. It won't take me too long to get through this. Where should we pray? 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I've got a friend who even in restaurants, no matter where he's at, anytime prayer comes even over the food, he throws both of his hands towards heaven. Now, I'm not, I'm not telling you that you have to do that, but I am telling you it's okay. Whether recently we did a funeral and they were talking about um, Brother Chambers being in a parking lot and praying with someone until he was praying powerfully in tongues. I want to tell you, that's okay. Anywhere, anytime, it's good and it's right and it's in order to pray. Okay? Pray everywhere. What should you pray about? Philippians 4.6 Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. What should, what should I pray about? Everything. Everything. I love, this is my first line. It was before I was the pastor here, and it is now that I am. And I ask people if they come to me about a decision. My first, almost always, I am asking them, did you pray about it, and what did you feel when you prayed? Well, I didn't pray about it. It's just a job opportunity. You better pray about that job opportunity. I didn't pray about it. It's just, it's just my schooling. You better pray about your schooling. Well, I didn't pray about it. It's just a, it's just a dating relationship. You, you better pray about it. We've got to saturate everything in prayer. Listen, if you get up in the morning and you eat Rice Krispies, you ought to thank God and say a little prayer before you eat them. Is he worthy of the prayer whether you eat Rice Krispies in the morning or whether you get a full gourmet breakfast and maybe your husband's going to make breakfast in bed and bring it to you or, or maybe your wife's? I don't know. I don't want to get anybody going right now. I can already hear the conversations. Why don't you bring me breakfast in bed? 
Either way, God is worthy of our prayers. He's worthy of us saying thanks and giving Him thanks, but then praying blessing upon it. When I go into an establishment and I sit down, I try to make it a normal part of my prayer, not just blessing upon the food, but I try to pray blessing upon the establishment. We have to pray about everything. I really feel that way. How should you pray when you don't know what to pray? Romans 8, 26, 27. This is what I was really speaking to a moment ago. The Holy Spirit helps us. What's it do for us? It, it, it kind of gives us that place where the Bible says the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. Watch this. In groanings which cannot be uttered. We, you ever, and I know if you've never got to that place, I challenge everybody to pray until you get to that place where you are just... You are just in that lost place with God. You don't have words to enunciate. You, you, but it's that groaning that comes out. Every now and then you ought to crawl out of a prayer meeting with a little stomachache. You ought to feel it in your abs a little bit like you just had a workout. You were intensely praying and allowing the Spirit itself. Some people would say, well, that's unnecessary, Brother Carson. And I would say, don't knock it until you've tried it. Don't knock it until you've been there and you have employed those scriptures in your life. So when? When should we pray? Psalms 5 and 3 says in the morning. Psalms 88 and 1 says the morning and at night. Psalm 55, 17 says in the evening, in the morning, at noon, pray. Daniel 6, 10. Daniel prayed three times a day. I, I, when should you pray? Anytime. All the time. What about 2 in the morning? That's a good time to pray. Yeah, what about... What about 4.30? It's a good time to pray. Okay, what about 1 in the afternoon? You get the point, don't you? It's always a good time to pray. Somebody said, well, I don't know. I, I felt like maybe I should stop and pray, but I think that was just me. It wasn't. Just like your flesh won't try to convince you to invite somebody to church, your flesh won't try to convince you to pray. That's a nudging of the Spirit. you got to set that alarm on your phone because most of the time your flesh is not going to try to get you reminded. If anything, it's going to try to distract you. So you set that alarm to tell your flesh who's boss, the spirit man that is inside of you that you're trying to allow the Holy Ghost that's working in you to prompt you forward and to make sure that you're allowing the spirit man to win and not the flesh. What did Luke do? When, when did he, what did, or what did Luke say about Jesus? It says that he prayed all night in Luke 6.12. Matthew 6, this is, this is one that gets brought up and I, and I hear this sometimes even in, in the church setting. Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is talking about, don't be like the hypocrites that stand out in the courtyards, you know, your long public prayers and this uh, pontificating, you know. They want everybody to hear when they pray. That's not what Jesus said. Don't do that. Go into your prayer closet. He was teaching a principle here. Make sure your motive is pure. Make sure your, your heart in your prayer is right. You're not praying for people to hear you. That'll be your reward. That's not what this is about. It's not about walking around loud and having the right flattering things to say. But at the same time, we believe in loud and vocal prayers. And we also believe in prayer closets. But I'm going to tell you, the people that pray loud and vocal in public, when it is an offspring of their private prayer closet, you can almost always tell. You really can. And so I encourage everybody that we should be powerful in our prayer, whether in private or in public. We should never pray to make a spectacle of ourselves or pray hoping that other people would look at us and listen to us. That's not why we're praying. 
We're praying so that He hears us. And we believe that if we can let Him hear us and our motives can be right, then the prayer can do the work. And we trust in that. It's how we feel. The secret of praying is praying in secret in a way that when you're doing it with expectation and believing, even though no one else is around, my prayer's still powerful. So whether you're praying one on just you and God like a table for two, or whether you're praying with a small prayer group, or whether you're praying and there's hundreds around you, it's just amazing that God listens in, hears every single time. And your prayer is powerful either way. Just make sure that your prayer has a pure motive. So when should we stop praying? Never. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Wow. So that means all the time I'm walking around. I understand that you're going to have normal conversations. You're not, you're not going to be able to talk out of one side of your mouth while the other side of your mouth you're praying. That's not what he's saying here. What's he teaching? Have a prayerful spirit. Have a prayerful attitude. Have you ever been with somebody where you're just with them and all of a sudden out of nowhere they say, Oh, thank you, Jesus. God, you're so good. It's just a part of their dialogue. It's a part of who they are. I went to visit a, a friend of mine when I was just a young guy. I'll never forget this. And I was there with a friend and his mom was walking and she was just like doing the dishes or something. And all of a sudden she's, she was like, whoo, Jesus. I didn't even know it. She's having this own little, she was having this little whisper conversation with the Lord, a little prayer meeting. Nobody else knew about it. She was just prayerful. And I would tell you that it's always right. Ephesians six eighteen. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. What does Luke 18, 1 say? The parable. He spake this parable to them that men ought always to pray and not faint. So, when? When should we stop praying? Never stop praying. The day you stop praying is the day you start spiritually dying. Real. It's true. Why should we pray? Because He hears us when we pray. He answers our prayer. Well, I don't know if He hears me. He hears you. Yeah, but I don't know if He's listening. I don't know if He really... If, if He saw the Spirit fall, he, he hears you. He's listening when you pray. Matthew 21, verses 12 to 14. Kind of interesting. Kind of a unique place here when, when the Lord is in the temple. It's the, it's the place where we opened with and, and we're talking about... You've made it a den of thieves. And I, my house is meant to be a house of prayer. What was he doing here? He was saying somewhere along the way, you've taken what my house was supposed to be and you've made it something for your own personal profit. And the truth is, the same way that they had set up that, that, that those doves and the selling, and sometime when I have more time, I'll, I'll teach this principle a little bit more and flesh it out. If we're not careful, we do that same thing in this temple and in this life. We make this life about profit. We make this temple here about the things that we want and making a quick buck or just about the... No. In Isaiah, he said, my house will be a house of prayer. And the truth is, Paul would teach it in the New Testament. Know ye not that your body is the temple of God. And so I've got to have a prayerful spirit not a prideful or a prophet life, a prayerful life. Everybody said amen to that. I love my church because it's a praying church. A fun homework assignment. I know some of you said there's no such thing as a fun homework assignment. But a fun homework assignment, if you're interested at all, would be to read through the book of Acts. Go through the book of Acts and take your highlighter 
Or if you don't like to highlight like I do in your Bible, then get you a separate notebook and go through and mark everywhere in the book of Acts that talks about prayer or the hour of prayer or the fact that they spent time in prayer or praying. Go through that and you're going to find out that the Acts of the Apostles is tied to the prayers of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles is tied to the prayers of the apostles. It's very important we get that. We, we love in Pentecost to shout about the demonstration of Acts 2. But the demonstration and outpouring of Acts 2 is the result of the prayerfulness of Acts 1. The steadfastness. Okay? So, number four. Being Spirit-filled. This is where we're going. Being Spirit-filled. If I'm going to be a person of prayer, then I do not want to stop. This is where our foundation was last week in the Word of God. I love my church because it's built by God and it's built on the foundation of His Word. When it's built on the foundation of His Word, we know that we become a prayerful church. It is the basics of who we are. Part of why we love it. Because it's prayerful. And the fact that we're prayerful leads us further into the Word and through prayer. Because when I get prayer and I get the foundation of the Word, I found out it's not only that I can pray to God, but I am meant to be filled with the Spirit of God. Oh, and everybody ought to say amen. We're meant to be filled with the Spirit of God. And being Spirit-filled is biblical and critical. Are there churches that are partially Spirit-filled? You ever heard someone say something to you like that? Oh, they're kind of, they're kind of a spirit-filled. I don't even know what that means. There are not multiple Holy Ghosts. Okay, the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, it is the Spirit of God. Okay, we're not about marketing tactics here, although we're trying to be good in our marketing. We're not about some big branding campaign that has to convince people, although we want to be great with our branding. That's not what this is about. We believe the most powerful thing is that when someone shows up here, they're going to feel welcome not just by the people, but enveloped and ultimately, we believe, filled with the Spirit of God. Why? Because we're a Spirit-filled church. Whoa! That's powerful. The preacher in me just wants to preach right now. We are a Spirit-filled church. If you're wondering today, if there's by any chance you're, you're questioning, maybe you've just found the podcast or you just somehow found the channel on, uh, on the website and you're, you're thinking, I wonder about Calvary. I want you to know very clearly and very emphatically that Calvary is a Spirit-filled and Spirit-led Bible church. Yes, we are. We are a Spirit-filled and Spirit-led church. We believe in the Word of God. It is our foundation and it leads us on. And, and we want you to know that's why we love it. We have great music, but that's not the only reason we love it. And we have, we have, great, we have great people. I mean, some of the best people you're ever going to meet in the world. But why we love the foundation of why we love this place, this is a prayerful and Spirit-filled church. John 14, 16 through 20, Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him. But ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I'll come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth 
me no more, but ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. And that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He was trying to teach them here. I'm not, I'm not leaving you to leave you alone. He said, I'm going to send my spirit to you. The, the, the book of Acts is going to be a lot of our focus at times through this series where we're talking about I love my church, I love his church, and, and how that works together. It's, it's really this historical record. The book of Acts is fascinating, not just to preach from or to shout with, but to study and to take a look at, okay? It's, it's kind of, many theologians would, would agree, it's kind of this two-part series with Luke and Acts and, and this, this writing, the key, the key individuals that we're going to read about here within this are Peter and Paul, but it's written by a man by the name of Luke. Uh, he's described in the epistles as that beloved physician uh, and the fellow worker with the apostle Paul. In the Gospel of Luke, action moves from Galilee to Jerusalem, but, but in Acts, it moves from Jerusalem to the very ends of the earth, and it, and it continues on, and it's still moving. We're still that book of Acts church that is continuing to move until he returns for his church. And so when we stop and when we look at this, we understand the, the immediate recipient being Theophilus as he's writing here to him. He starts in Acts 1, the former trees or the account or the work that I've, that I've given to you, Theophilus, about everything. Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up. Okay? When he was taken up. And he says, he says, until the day when he was taken up after, through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Uh, there's a scholar by the name of Craig Keener in his, in his commentary on Acts. He says, for Luke, the ultimate goal in writing uh, this, this set, this, this two-volume set, was cross-cultural communication and world evangelization with the requisite power to carry out this task being only the Holy Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, simple. We can't do it without the Holy Ghost. We just can't. We just cannot do it. Uh, when someone says, are they a Spirit-filled church? I think they better be. If they're not Spirit-filled, they're not a church at all. Whether you like that or not, that's the truth. According to this, you've got to be filled with the Spirit. It is the Word of God. The long title of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles, but it, it really could even be uh, the work of the Spirit of God or maybe the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we're supposed to glean what these apostles did, but it's never been to romanticize men. It's always been to truly evaluate and honor the work of the Holy Ghost. Amen? There is not another book in the entire New Testament canon more, more applicable to the contemporary apostolic than the book of Acts. It's why we spend so much time in it. We watch the early persecution, read about the, the death of Stephen, watch young Saul there holding the coats, and you see it. And, and I've said this, but I would say it again. In the early church, it was persecution that spread the gospel. In our modern day, I think part of it is pestilence that is spreading us and getting beyond the four walls of the church. And the truth is, God will do whatever it takes to make sure that the church is being the church. And the church is reaching everywhere that they can. It is, it is important for us to know. It is our history, it is our foundation of our salvation theology and the structural blueprint for the institution of the church. 
Acts demonstrates the fulfillment to multiple prophecies. Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, certainly Joel chapter 2 that we so often talk about. Isaiah 28, 11 and 12, for with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to his people. Joel had told us in Joel chapter 2 that he was going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Acts 2 sees the fulfillment and Peter preaches to them. So we need to remember this. In closing, I give you my fifth point. The early church was spirit-filled. If we are going to emulate the early church and be like the early church, we are not looking for man-made philosophies or creeds. We're looking for what did the early church teach and preach as instructed by Christ. They were bold in the face of persecution. How? Because they were filled with the Spirit. Their preaching was powerful and we try to emulate it today. How were they so powerful? They were filled with the Spirit. They laid hands on the sick and they recovered. They were filled with the Spirit. They praised in prisons. They were filled with the Spirit. The Bible says that it has now become one of the most overused lines in all of history that they turned their world upside down. And now I think we're trying to turn some things right side up. But still, the only way they could and the only way we can is to be filled with the Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Ghost was only known then because it was accompanied by speaking with other tongues. And it's still notified and evidenced that way today. Wherever you're at, you ought to say witness. I, I'm a witness to that. Amen. Romans 8, 11, But the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead, if it dwell in you, He that raised Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Go on down through. You can read from Romans 1, Romans 3, Philippians 2, James 3, 2 Peter 2, Acts 2, all the way down through it, 1 through 17, 36 through 39. Read about it. Read about it. I love my church because it's a church that's prayerful and it's a church that's full of the Spirit of God. Oh, aren't you thankful for that tonight? Think about that. And if you're watching this or you're listening to this and you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we want you to know that is a gift for you and it's for your children and to everyone that's afar off. It really is. It's for you. It's a promise for you. I want you to take advantage of going and reading from the book of Acts. And we want you to come and be with us. Be with us here Sunday morning, 10 o'clock. Sunday night, 6.30 p.m. Find a service that you can make it. We want to get you involved in a Bible study and continue to teach you more. And we are going to continue to celebrate. We love our church because we love His church. And His church is a prayerful church. And it's a church that's filled with the Spirit. Would you right there where you're at, lift your hands. God, I pray that your word would find lodging in our hearts and our minds, that we would grow because of our time in your word, that we would be, in fact, prayerful, and we would be full of your spirit. We want to be a prayerful church and a spirit-filled church, because this is your church. We love you.